0: and they say about one in
1: ten women have quit their jobs and we've had really lovely women with really high power jobs that function perfectly and really really well and then they go through that perimenopausal period and often they go to memory clinics because they're concerned about their memory loss.
0: Hey there, friends. Welcome to the Happy Habit Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew. On this podcast, I like to talk health and well-being. Mondays and Thursdays, I've been doing so for three years now. If you're new to the podcast, you're very, very welcome. If you're returning to the podcast, thank you so much for coming back. We must have done something right the last time. There are over 320 episodes in the archive if you'd like to peruse some of those episodes. Lots of different topics. I think something for everybody in there. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please, like, subscribe, share with people who you think might enjoy listening to some of the episodes and leave the podcast a positive review as many of you have already done and thank you so much for doing so. Now if you've tuned in before you'll know that I like to talk to experts on interesting subjects and today I have Dr. Aoife Nickowron joining me on the podcast she is a general practitioner in Dublin with a particular interest in the menopause. Eva, can we start out by putting the menopause into context as far as a woman's biological timeline is concerned? When does it happen?
1: All women will go through and it is a normal and natural experience from 45 to 55. Here in Ireland, probably the average age is about 50, 51. I suppose everyone has a different experience. Some are lucky and they don't even notice it's happened. And by definition, the menopause is actually the very last day of your very last period. And everyone is different, but it is a universal experience.
0: A friend of mine spoke recently about being perimenopausal. How does that differ from menopause proper?
1: Exactly. So I suppose we're all born with a certain number of eggs. As we get older, they dramatically decrease. And roughly when we have around a thousand of them left, Our ovaries stop responding to the signals from our brains. And then we start to get all sorts of jumps in estrogen, which is that lovely female hormone that keeps our hair looking lovely, keeps our skin looking moist and helps us feel good. And I suppose that estrogen starts to jump up and down um, and that starts to cause a lot of our symptoms and that tends to happen anything from I suppose it really depends on the age and the problem is we don't really know because when we do blood tests we can't recognize it we can't levels because they fluctuate they can be high they can be low it very much depends and it all depends on symptoms and with COVID we saw a lot of people having symptoms earlier and we know that stress can bring on symptoms earlier bereavements can bring on symptoms even smoking has been shown to bring on menopausal symptoms earlier and some people say even 18 months earlier.
0: Now, what are the symptoms of perimenopause and of menopause itself, and how long do they
1: last? So typically symptoms last seven years, roughly. Um, It very much depends. They start before that last period. They don't stop. In some women at that last period, they continue for a little bit longer, but roughly it's about a seven year period. And the commonest ones people think about are sweats, so hot flushes and night sweats, and then a change in period. But there's so many more symptoms. So women can have brain fog. Women can have memory concerns. They can struggle in work to concentrate. And they say about one in four women will really struggle in work because they just can't concentrate the way they would have previously. It can affect anxiety. So women commonly present to GPs and they're stressed, they're worried, they're having palpitations, they're anxious, and it can all be due to an underlying perimenopause that's taking place. Um, women then can have sleep issues. So if you're waking up sweating at night, you don't sleep. And then we all know if we don't sleep, we feel miserable the next day. So that can affect us. Then we can have joint pains and aches and muscle aches and pains. Um, then we can have kind of issues with vaginal dryness that can make sex painful. We can have issues with their bladder. So you'll commonly notice women will run to the toilet and off a lot more frequently or will get up during the night. And again, that affects their sleep. So it really can affect so many aspects of our life and it can be really debilitating for a lot of women But then it's important to think about the silent things. So it affects our bones. It also affects our heart because estrogen is that really good protector for our bones and our heart. So even in women that have no symptoms, the lucky ones that have absolutely nothing and they sail through, they have their last period and they feel well, it's important that we educate them on things they can do to protect their heart and their bones while they go into the latter start kind of part of their life when they can continue to enjoy life. But it's just about knowing what to do and how to manage things.
0: Are all of these symptoms stemming from the oscillation or the the decline in the oestrogen in the system? Is that causing um, signals to be sent to the brain? Uh, And is there a confusion of signals that is causing these issues and then stemming to the the symptoms?
1: Yeah, so I suppose we often like to think of it as a roller coaster. So in general, overall, there is a decline in oestrogen, but it completely fluctuates. Um, And that's what makes it very difficult to determine in terms of diagnosing it and that's why we really as doctors need to be aware about it and it's really good that more patients are getting educated because it's hard to diagnose because it's hard to differentiate anxiety from perimenopause or anxiety from another an other causes. So it is difficult, but it's fluctuating levels of hormones and that's happening and that causes all these different symptoms.
0: And of course it causes frustration as well because if somebody's suffering both mm. physically, let's say, as you said, they're not sleeping well because they have night sweats and then they have brain fog too, the level of frustration women must feel must be overwhelming.
1: Exactly, and they say about one in 10 women have quit their jobs. And we've had really lovely women With really high power jobs that function perfectly and really really well and then they go through that perimenopausal period and often they go to memory clinics because they're concerned about their memory loss or they go to psychiatrists because they're worried about anxiety or even relationships break down because with because of the drop in libido or because of other symptoms so it can really affect all aspects of your life and it's hard I suppose, to know what to do, but it's all about trying to raise awareness because there's so many things we can do. Not everyone needs treatment and it does reassuringly. It tends to last about seven years. So it's not something that continues forever, but it's just about managing it during that phase and then being smart in that post-menopausal period to keep an eye on your bones and keep an eye on your heart and to try and do things. I often like to think back in kind of the 1850s, women, I suppose they lived for about 45 years. So the life expectancy was very similar to when they went through menopause. Whereas now women, we lived, I think 83 is the the life expectancy for women. So we've so much of our lives that happens after menopause. And it's so important to manage that. So I suppose we really need to be aware about it and um, to ask for help and to try and get things to help with it.
0: We'll come back to asking for help a little later. Uh, I've noticed, I was in the chemist earlier on today, I've noticed a lot of menopause related products, which are uh, said to mitigate the impacts of some of the symptoms that you mentioned already. Are these effective at all?
1: There's not much licensing around products, around vitamins and supplements. So they're not regulated. So some of them can be effective. There's just very little evidence behind much of them being much more effective than placebo. And some can be quite expensive. So some women, it works really, really well. Other women, it doesn't. And I suppose it's about trying things, but also being aware of not spending too much on supplements if they're not making much difference. Because when we do trials, there's very little difference for most Interestingly, in in the Japanese population, they have a lot of phytoestrogen, so they eat a lot of soy. So there is some evidence that our diet and and kind of having soy-based products can help. And some of the supplements you see will have that in them. Um, Some people talk about B vitamins having benefits. And obviously, your calcium and your vitamin D for your bones is really important. um, But it can be tricky. And because it's not regulated and it's not licensed, it's very hard for women to know. And when you're really struggling and having a really hard day, it's very easy to to buy these expensive products and it's just hard to say whether they will help or not.
0: From the point of view of lifestyle changes you mentioned stress and let's say smokers might be predisposed to experiencing menopause at an earlier age. What other things can people do in order to stave off menopause for as long as possible or even mitigate those symptoms that we mentioned earlier?
1: So apart from smoking I suppose smoking can make it happen a little bit earlier but our body clock has already decided when this is going to happen so so it's really about managing symptoms rather than trying to stave it off or making it happen later and we know that people that exercise that eat healthily reduce their alcohol intake and women will commonly do it naturally they'll say i've reduced the amount of alcohol because then i sleep better or i have less sweats and flushes um, so definitely not smoking, eating healthily, alcohol. Um, we know CBT, so cognitive behavioral therapy. There's actually some studies showing that that helps with flushes and sweats. Um, and there's some good books and online things that can advise people about that. So there's a uh, lots of things you can do. And then simple things like fans, having the temperature down, having loose clothing, all those different things and having sleep hygiene to try and help you into a pattern to get to sleep. They can definitely help support you through and make you feel a lot more comfortable.
0: What about exercise then? I'm just curious as to whether that would be advised.
1: So exercise, yeah, and exercise generally helps with a lot of the, the low mood or the anxiety. And it's so well known that the more we exercise, we tend to have less anxiety and we're more tired. We tend to sleep better. So exercise is really helpful, whether it reduces sweats or flushes. We don't really have much evidence, but um, we feel that overall it can improve quality of life if, if we get women to exercise.
0: How important is that? Because I remember prior to this interview, you sent me in the direction of a couple of online resources like the Irish uh, Menopause Facebook page. How important is it from a psychological mm. standpoint, is it for women to know that they there is information out there and that they aren't alone and that what they're experiencing actually is perfectly
1: normal and natural? Oh, it's, it's so important. And I suppose in our clinic, we commonly get women that come in and they almost break down into tears when they've felt that they're listened to and that someone has a reason for their symptoms women are really good and I know you talk to so many women on this podcast but we're really good at putting up with things we just kind of get on with it in school it will be going to school it's just a period and I think a lot of women they have and the problem is perimenopause happens when you're in a good place in your job you've got your kids so a lot of things in life are happening and women often say oh it's just because I have a busy job or I have kids so I think when women realize that actually this is normal and that Irish Facebook page is great at giving women support and that network and people they can talk to that also experience similar symptoms Um, and also that can help guide them to treatment if they want it but also help guide them to going for a walk or doing social activities just to get that support. How much
0: of that psychological impact of that transition, that change that women experience through the perimenopause and the menopause, how much of that is ignored or understated? We talk a lot about, I mean, at the outset here, we talked about the physical uh, symptoms that uh, women experience during the menopause. But do we need to focus more attention on how women are affected psychologically by
1: that? Or mental health It's just so important. And the problem is, there's just very little resources available. There's waiting lists for a lot of therapists, for coaches. um, And often women don't know where to turn. So that's why support groups are helpful to help guide us. But definitely mental health can have a bigger impact. If you're not feeling well, then you tend to eat more. You tend to not want to exercise. And that in turn can make you gain weight. And that can, can affect everything, can make you feel more tired and can affect your sleep. So everything tends to be linked. And if we feel better, if you've had a good night's sleep, You can manage things better Um, and generally if we're having a good day things go better for us um whereas if we're feeling miserable everything seems to not work or something else goes wrong so definitely mental health is so important to manage um and that's tricky and it's okay to have a bad day i think that's what i always say to patients we're not meant to have good days every day it's okay to have a, a bad day but we're just trying to make you have more good days um and to try to know that they're not alone would
0: you even go as far to say that some women might experience a sense of grief during uh, the menopause as a result of that change—the leaving behind one aspect and one part of their life, and then tra- transitioning to another part of their life?
1: And I suppose it can—it can affect so many things. So some women, they still—they've—they're just in new relationships, and they still want to have more children. There's obviously the group of women that go through menopause early. So a premature menopause will be under 40 and an early menopause will be under 45. Um, I suppose then it can really affect relationships and there's that grief and often partners don't know what to expect. They get off, they get worried or they get unsure how to manage their partner who's going through this. Um, I think it's important to realize that it is a period and that there's so much to live for and to do after the menopause has happened. And with all the supports and treatments out there, a lot of women live really well and can manage their symptoms. So it's generally always something that we can do, even in patients that have complex histories with epilepsy and breast cancer and all those different conditions. There's generally something that we can always do. And there's so much more research been done as well with new products coming out. So it is all quite reassuring.
0: You mentioned treatments there can we talk briefly about HRT there's a lot of information online mm-hmm. some conflicting uh, can we tr- try to just briefly eliminate some of uh, our listeners female listeners concerns in relation to HRT uh, the the upside and the downside of of HRT because ultimately it is a medicine too and medicines do come with some side effects
1: yeah, and I suppose it really depends on the person and everyone's going to have their own baseline risks based on everything. But in general, when we prescribe HRT, it's felt by most of our evidence and it's based on randomized control trials that we feel that most people, the benefits tend to outweigh the risks and the benefits will be it tends to help with symptoms. So it helps with fog, it helps with sweats, it helps with the hot flushes that you get, it can help with aches and pains, it can help alleviate the anxiety that women will suffer. So a lot of symptoms will tend to improve. Libido tends to improve. We know it also helps protect your bones. And it's really important because about 20% of her bone mass tends to be lost around menopause. So that helps protect that. And then it also p- protects her heart. So we know when women that take HRT early, they get less cardiovascular disease. So lots of benefits. I suppose the balance and what most people think about is breast cancer. And that's kind of the biggest thing that jumps to everyone's mind. But from a lot of our recent studies based on the newer products that we have, and we try to use more natural type of products, the breast cancer risk we feel under the age of 50 is not really significant. And in someone between the age of 50 and 60, we feel it's about four potential extra cases per thousand. And I like to compare it to a glass of wine. So if you have a nice, generous, self-poured glass, which is two units, if you have that every single night, that's actually five potential extra cases of breast cancer, so more than the risk we feel that might be increased by, by using HRT. But it, it is a case based decision based on the benefits versus the risks. And for everyone, that changes. But for most people, the benefits tend to outweigh the risks. And obviously, it's about looking after, you know, doing your mammograms, doing your screens, attending your cervical check and then looking after your bones Not everyone needs to go on HRT. And I think there's a lot of pressure at the moment because people come in, all my friends are on it. I should be on it. Not everyone needs it, but definitely for some people it can be protective um, and other people just need to keep discuss their risk factors with the doctor and see whether it is for them or not. And then there's newer products coming out as well that will particularly help with flushes and sweats, which is actually shown to be really promising for those with breast cancer where we generally prefer not to use HRT. Um, and those products are coming soon. So hopefully that will be of benefit as well.
0: Well, that leads me nicely to my next question. If women listening do have worries, fears or concerns or are simply seeking information, what should be their first port of call? Should it be going online, visiting a, a general practitioner like yourself or seeing an endocrinologist or a gynecologist?
1: And generally I say the first thing is talk, talk to your friends because generally they'll have advice and tips and tricks. Um, and then if they can reach out to their GP. There are plenty new menopause public clinics popping up in ireland which is brilliant the first one was set up in hollis street run by deirdre Lundy, and there's multiple more across the country that have free access and then for the more common cases gps are being really trained up at the moment and there's a lot of very interested gps in this area so to look out for a gp with a special interest and then there's some private clinics as well that they can go to and then the irish facebook page is really good get lots of peer support and I think it's all about starting the conversation thinking about it and not and not waiting for your period to change because you can have perfectly regular periods and still be going through the perimenopause and that's something that women often don't realize they feel I can't go and get help yet it's it's too early or I'm not bad enough and the amount of women that come in to me saying I'm not bad enough is, is quite significant. And it's just important to talk and to be aware of what your options are. And then you can make an informed decision as to whether you do want to get treatment be it an exercise plan, be it a dietary plan, be it H4T. Um, and just by getting
0: support. Well, as I said uh, before we started this interview, the majority of my listeners will be female. And I like to discuss women's mm-hmm. health and issues where I can because I believe it doesn't get enough focus or attention. And I always say that if men suffered with periods uh, and with the same uh, female problems that women suffer from, it would be front page news seven days a week. So uh, women by their very nature seem mm-hmm. to just suffer in silence and get on with the business of living. So I'm more than happy to give experts like yourself Uh, room uh, to talk about and shed light on such important subjects like you did today so uh, Dr Aoife Nick-Auron thank you so much for talking with me and uh, giving us uh, such uh, valuable information about the menopause today on the Happy Habit podcast.
1: Perfect thank you very much for having me.